Friends, let us turn our hearts to God in prayer. Blessed are you, holy are you, O God. Open our ears, our hearts, our minds, and our spirit this day to hear your holy word to us, that we may be transformed into your likeness. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Our epistle lesson today is from the letter to the Ephesians, chapter 5, verses 15 through 20. Listen to these words of scripture. Be careful then how you live, not as unwise people, but as wise, making the most of the time, because the days are evil. So do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. But be filled with the Spirit as you sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves, singing and making melody to the Lord in your hearts, giving thanks to God the Father at all times and for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. At first read, the beginning of today's text from Ephesians feels a little bit like it could belong to what David Vandrele has called a gospel of no-nos, a legalistic set of vices to avoid. You probably know some version of that, don't you? Which in today's world, it almost feels quaint, naive even, I personally heard verse 18 quoted many times, do not get drunk with wine. And see, in addition to prohibiting all forms of alcohol, the religious culture of my earliest years threw in a few more. No card playing, which finally became acceptable by the time I got to high school. And no dancing, which only became okay once I got to college. Now, for my grandmother, dancing was a terrible sin. In some of her written remembrances, she wrote, sometimes we play musical games at weddings, which today are called folk dances. We just didn't know they were dances. Yes, at face value, quaint and naive. Be careful how you live, don't do this, don't do that. And if you do, definitely don't overdo it. And although the vices that we see listed in the New Testament epistles were common in many writings in the first century, scripture never ever leaves it there. It always looks to transform it into something more. And that is the case here. You see, there is a deeper question that this text speaks to, an age-old question that always accompanies the human condition. With what do we fill the emptiness of life that we encounter? My heart broke this week several times. 
It broke watching news footage of person after person dropping onto the ground in New Haven Park. A mass overdose on K2 synthetic marijuana. And setting aside legal and medical and even moral considerations, the underlying question I wonder about is the pastoral question, the spiritual question, which is what is that emptiness that people are seeking to fill with substances that can harm? What do they really yearn for that they haven't found? What is the pain that they are trying to dull? What hurts so much that people will risk their lives and risk hurting those they love in order to fill some emptiness or to stop some pain. What we fill our lives with matters. What we fill our hearts and souls with matters. It matters to us, it matters to others, and it matters to God because in a broken world it is so easy to be deceived by cheap, shiny alternatives. It's not a matter of saying no for no's sake, or even a matter of no, saying no to avoid getting hurt. It's a matter of saying no to intoxicating our bodies and ourselves with poor substitutes so that we can say yes to the Spirit and bring the fullness of God's yes to bear. The yes that in Walter Brueggemann's words, God said to us in creation, in our birth, in our baptism, and in our awakening. And today's scripture also speaks to the corporate body of the church, not just individuals. My heart broke again this week, this time over the report released by a Pennsylvania grand jury on church cover-ups of clergy abuse. It's a devastating lesson on the intoxicating effects of power on people and institutions, even religious ones, otherwise dedicated to so many good and charitable acts. And thus the admonition to be careful how you live and pay attention to what you let intoxicate you becomes not just a private matter, but a matter for the whole church no matter what denomination. It is easy for even the church to settle for less than God's yes. We will settle for the substitutes of cultural respectability and community influence. We will become intoxicated with the memory of the church's glory years and the desire to get them back, whatever that means. Who hasn't thought that at least once? And in an era where cultural expectations no longer make church a requirement, it's easy even to become intoxicated with the sense that we can go it alone in our faith. 
We don't need others to be part of our relationship with God. Whatever works for me, whatever suits me is all I need. I will just order off the a la carte spiritual menu. It's what my colleague Greg Hall calls the American heresy of individualism. And I say this not to throw out a blanket of guilt, not at all. Okay, maybe just a little bit. And I say it not to suggest that there is no room for difference in understanding, but to suggest that God's yes calls us to something that we can only become together. A people who experience wholeness when we worship and serve together alongside those who ache with emptiness, those for whom our hearts break, and for whom God's heart breaks. The expression of God's yes in this letter to the Ephesians is to be filled with the Spirit as you sing songs and hymns and spiritual songs together. The language of scripture and song together shapes us and fills us. It's our primary language and has transformed and sustained people worldwide for centuries in a way that no other language has, writes Jamie Clark Souls. And when words and even sermons don't hit the spot, for we know they don't always, hymns and song can do that. I found that to be true in my own life. During times of a deep or empty ache in my soul, scriptures that come to mind and well up from within just as I need them are those that I learned in song together with my faith community. This week's death of Aretha Franklin underscores the spiritual and transformative power of song to experience God's spirit to draw the community together, and even to resist the evil of prejudice and oppression. In a New York Times op-ed, Baptist minister Michael Eric Dyson wrote, Franklin could trap lightning in her mouth at a moment's notice and shout down fire to earth. Her uncanny aptitude was so compelling that the congregation knew that greatness and the spirit rested in double portion on this fearless young woman. She transformed Otis Redding's punchy, R-E-S-P-E-C-T, into a timeless anthem for racial pride and a cry of feminist recognition. Her church got larger, her congregation composed of millions of people in search of a soulful vision of spiritual direction beyond sanctuary doors. Our youth director, Jane Carden, came back from this summer's trip with our youth to the Montreat Youth Conference with her story about the transformative power of spiritual song, and she has graciously allowed me to tell her story. Jane said that this summer's Montreat experience had to be one of the best. From keynote to small group, from recreation to worship, 
From prayer to music, conferees were challenged to explore and embrace this year's theme, Lift Every Voice. And they explored the many voices in their lives, God's voice, their own voice, silenced voices, tortured voices, united voices. And even as they were challenged to speak out because their voices matter, Jane said it was the worship experiences that left the deepest impression. Their worship leader, Reverend Cece Armstrong from Charleston, South Carolina, introduced them to the hymn, Lift Every Voice. It's in our hymn book, number 339, in case you're curious. And while it was familiar to some, to the majority, it was new. At the beginning of the week, the youth learned the history behind the hymn, that it was written first as a poem by James Weldon Johnson. He collaborated with his brother, John Rosamond Johnson, to put this poem to music and then have it performed a year later by a high school chorus at an Abraham Lincoln birthday celebration. And the youth at Montreat learned that today it's embraced and widely known as the Black National Anthem. Reverend Cece closed that Monday sermon by having her choir from St. James Presbyterian share the hymn. She encouraged everyone there to sing along. But Jane said it really wasn't until the final verse that most of those did so, albeit a bit feebly. They were mostly caught up in the music, she said, struck by the power, the feeling, the reverence with which the choir sang. But it really wasn't singing. Rather, it was praying. Jane said, we were in awe, drawn close, fed and energized. It was a true Holy Spirit moment. And as the week unfolded, Cece preached on one of the verses each night, and she closed every service with the singing of the hymn. Jane described the week this way. On Monday, we were captivated by the choir and just sang the hymn. But by Friday, all of us, youth and adults alike, had a better grasp of the meaning behind the words, the importance of these words. We more than sang this hymn, we prayed this hymn. In other words, it sounds to me like this was today's scripture text come to life. In just a few moments, we are going to deviate from the hymn that's printed in your bulletin. We're not going to sing that one, and we will instead sing this very hymn, number 339 in your hymn books. We are going to sing a song full of the faith that the dark past has taught us. We're going to sing a song full of the hope that the present has brought us. Because for the sake of a broken and empty world, we must. In one of his many beautifully written prayers, Walter Brueggemann prays, we are people who must sing you for the sake of our very lives, 
You are a God who must be sung by us for the sake of your majesty and honor. And so we thank you for lyrics that push us past our reasons, for melodies that break open our givens, for cadences that locate us home beyond all our safe places, for tones and tunes that open our lives beyond control and our futures beyond despair. We thank you for the long parade of mothers and fathers who have sung you deep and true. We thank you for the good company of artists, poets, musicians, cantors, and instruments that sing for us and with us toward you. We are witnesses to your mercy and splendor. We will not keep silent ever again. Let us lift our voices and sing together hymn number 339. Lift every voice and sing.
us rejoice.